Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John in the New Testament. Today, as was the case last week, we're only going to look at one verse in the Gospel of John. And we'll be coupling that verse with one verse from the book of Psalms, Psalm 143.10. So if you want to find your place first in the Gospel of John, and then we will read Psalm 143.10. John chapter 6, verse 38. These are the words of Jesus. For I've come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then in Psalm 143, verse 10, we hear the words of David. Remembering that Jesus was descended from David, the Bible says, in the book of 2 Timothy. One instance in the life of Jesus, He was described as the Son of David. And Jesus wore that attribution with a certain amount of pride in the best sense of the word. And Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Jesus makes this remarkable statement in the Gospel of John. I have come down from heaven, speaking of the incarnation, God become man in the person of Jesus Christ. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. That's rather amazing. Was Jesus not God when He became a man? Did He divest Himself of His deity when He became a human being? Absolutely not. He chose to submit Himself to the Father's will who sent Him down from heaven. So He came not to do His own will, but the will of Him who sent Him. Now, here's a question for you and for me. Are we capable of doing the will of God? Is God's will something that's not only accessible to us, but it is that which God has created us for, to do His will? And here is a question that's probably crossed most of your minds one time or another especially if you're a thinker, and that is, is it possible for the God who created the universe to have a personal relationship with me as a human being? You might reason this way, I can understand why God the Father had that kind of relationship with Jesus and clearly spelled out His will for Jesus. I can understand that. After all, Jesus was not only fully human, but fully God. Well, the answer to those questions in both cases is yes and yes. If you know your Bible, what you know is the Bible is truly a book which deals with God's personal involvement in individuals' lives. David, for instance, says in Psalm 139 to God, he says, Father, The days that you ordained for me were written in your book before there was even one of them. The suggestion is strong and clear. God had a plan for King David's life. He had that plan in place even before He created him in his mother's womb. 
Jeremiah, who was a prophet hundreds of years after David, the prophet of the nations, when he was still a young man. In fact, he could have been a boy. And God came to him and makes this remarkable statement to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I have a plan for your life. That plan is that you become a prophet to the nations. That was frightening to Jeremiah. He withered at the thought of his being sent out as a prophet to the nations. But the rest, as they say, is history. We have the book of Jeremiah to prove it. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And the book which bears his name in the Old Testament is the book which has more words in it than any other of the biblical books. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And these came through the prophet Jeremiah. Speaking to the people of God, many, most of whom we do not know by name. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Do you know that applies to you? God has a plan for you. And it's a plan that's a positive plan. We need to get in on that plan. And we can. And the best expression of His plan to us and for us is that we not do our own will, but we do the will of Him who sent me. Oswald Sanders makes this comment about this matter. He says, Our lives are ours to spend as we wish, but we only have one life to spend. Many of us are aging some rapidly. I'm aware of that every time I look in the mirror these days. But we have time, and here's a good word for all of us, no matter how young or old you may be. Here's a good word. It's never too late to begin to do the will of God. You may look back over your life and say, I have not made a habit of consulting God to know His will. I have not done His will. Is I knew I should do it in the past. And there's a lot of waste in my background. Well, thank God you know that. And thank God that today could be the beginning of a new era in your life. One where you do seek to discover the will of God for your life. And then once having discovered it, to do the will of God. The great purpose of our salvation is not only to know the will of God, although that's essential to doing it, but it's also to do the will of God. Think about the man whom we know as Saul in the New Testament. We really know him better as Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name, named after the leader in some people's regard of the tribe of Benjamin, that King Saul in the Old Testament. We know him as Paul. That was his Greek name because he was born into a Jewish family and the father was Greek and he was Roman citizen. And so he bore two names, Saul, his Hebrew name, Paul, his Gentile name. 
You remember when he was intercepted by Jesus as he had a writ in his hand from the authorities of Israel to go to Damascus and to round up all these renegades who had abandoned the true faith to follow some upstart known as Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what happened to him? Jesus intercepted him, and this is what Jesus said to him when he inquired as to what was going on. He said, I want you to get up and go to the city, referring to Damascus, and you will be told what you must do. He obeyed, he went there, and after three days of blindness, a man named Ananias came to his house, and this is what he said to this man, Saul. He said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to do His will and to see the righteous one, speaking of Jesus. That's what God called Paul to do. That's what God called you and me to do. That's why God has saved us from our sins and given us forgiveness and made us new creations in Christ. That's what this is all about. So let's consider how we discover God's will. Two things I'm going to mention. I hope you're taking some notes. Two things to ask of the Word of God, particularly Psalm 143, verse 10. The first question is, who is eligible to discover God's will? Someone who is intimate with God. Why do I say that? Because of what David writes in the psalm. Look at it again. He says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. He had a personal relationship with God. Not only was David his son, but God was his father. He was his God. Intimacy with God is the greatest aid to knowing God's will. If we do not develop intimacy with Him, we can forget about really knowing God's will and consequently doing the will of God. It's been said that God does not have favorites, but God does have intimates. So how do we grow in intimacy with God? We grow in intimacy with God the way we grow in intimacy with the people around us. We spend time with God. We spend time listening to God. We spend time inquiring of Him, what must we do to do your will? And He obliges us. He does not withhold such information from us anymore than you or I as parents if our children were to come to us and say to us, Father, Mother, what do you want me to do? I know every parent here today would immediately say, Son, daughter, this is what I want you to do. So we must spend time with the Lord. Let's think about Jesus in relationship to His apostles. Jesus loved all of them. In fact, in John chapter 13, near the end of His life, the writer of John tells us this, that Jesus loved all of them... To the end. That's amazing, isn't it? He loved his disciples, particularly the apostles, to the end of his life. He cared for them all the way to the end. 
Some of them he was closer to than others. There was a group of three that he was very close to. Peter, James, and John. James and John brothers in the flesh. And they were the sons of Zebedee. And we see him more than one time spending time developing his friendship with them. While the others were not in that group. And then Jesus had one with whom he was most intimate. John the Apostle. In fact, John, in the book of John, more than one time refers in a very cryptic way to a disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, that was a way of speaking of himself. He didn't want to interject himself into that discussion. He was the one whom Jesus loved. Why did he love John, it seemed, in a way that he didn't quite love the others. It's because they had a closer relationship with one another. In the book of John, chapter 14, 21, this is what John writes. If you want to look at it with me, you may. He speaks this way, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Do you see the link between obedience to Christ and deepening relationship with Christ? Do you see that? And this is the key. When you think of John, perhaps what you think of is the name that was given to him in the early church. He is described as a the Apostle of Love. And if you read 1 John, you know that he's big on brothers and sisters in Christ loving each other, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. And so, what Jesus says here in John fourteen twenty one certainly gives us insight into how we can develop intimacy. We love Jesus. How do we show our love to Jesus? By loving one another. That's what the Word of God tells us in the Gospel of John and elsewhere in the Scripture. Someone who is intimate with God is eligible. Are you intimate with God? Do you make developing your relationship with Him the priority of your life? Remembering what Jesus says in John chapter 17, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we know the one true God? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way to the Father, Jesus said. And then Jesus makes another helpful statement to his apostles in John 15, 5. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, and I love that. Can you imagine Jesus Christ calling a person His friend. This is God become man in the flesh. But He says, I have called you friends. And the grammar which He employs there in John 15, 5 is strongly suggestive of this fact. Once He calls you or me His friend, He will never pull the plug on the relationship. He's not like we are. He disciplines us. He says, those whom I love, in the book of Revelation 3, I reprove and discipline. When we're out of line, 
Just like any leader would do with those who are following him, especially when it comes to matters pertaining to the most important things in life, the will of God, Jesus disciplines us. In doing that, he's like his father. But he never will pull the plug. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for the things which I have heard from the Father. And I need to correct myself. For all the things which I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you, to the apostles. Well, we're not apostles, you say. That's true. But we are disciples of Christ. We are His friends by His own choosing. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Can you imagine? I remember when I was a boy in grade school, we would have spelling bees. And the way the teams were formed, the teacher would designate the two people in the class whom, in my case, she would choose because she knew they were the best spellers, and then they would take turns picking people. And I always wanted to be picked first. I don't know about you if you were in a situation like that. And at the same time, when we go out on the playground, the boys would go out and play softball at recess. We loved to play sports. There would be two captains. The teacher had designated two captains, and then the captains would pick the players. We wanted to be picked early, right? It was good to be chosen. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus appointed us to be his forever friend. And he shares with us everything that the Father has shared with him. And how does he do that? Well, through the apostles. The apostles were told in John fourteen twenty six that Jesus would... Teach them all things by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance everything that Jesus had taught them. And they recorded it in what we know as the New Testament. The Apostles' teaching is recorded for us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. And lo and behold, you and I today, if we are the friends of Jesus... God speaks to us by the Spirit, and the very things which these apostles were taught, we are taught, and we can understand them. Because the author is not someone who is outside of us, he has come to dwell in us, and he is our teacher. This is a miracle, isn't it? It sounds absurd. If I think about it too much, I begin to say, why in the world would you want... To live in me. I know myself not well enough, but I know myself rather well. Who is eligible? For the third time, I'll say it. Someone who is intimate with God. But there's another aspect. Someone who has a teachable heart. Let's go back to Psalm 143 for just a moment and note what David writes. As he's speaking to the Lord, he says, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Teach me, Father. I need to learn. David was a man who knew his incapability of understanding the will of God apart from God's telling him what his will was. Knowing God's will does not come naturally for us either. 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1-9, it is a mystery. Our spiritual eyes need to be enlightened. If we read further in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays this prayer for them, that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. And when we come before the Lord in humility, and we are intimate with Him, and we say, teach me, Lord, He answers that prayer. He gives us insight into truth that otherwise is veiled from our understanding. John Gruden was signed to be the head coach of the Oakland Raiders late last year for an incredible sum of $100 million. Can you imagine? The contract for 10 years, $10 million a year, and it's guaranteed. That's a ton of money, isn't it? It's more than a ton of money. It's unbelievable. Well, last year the Raiders just kind of fell off the ledge. They had a terrible year compared to their previous year when they were really the Cinderella team in the NFL. And they rose to great heights. So lots of people actually picked them to be playing in the game that's going to be played later today, the Super Bowl. And a key reason for that was because of their quarterback, David Carr. David is an excellent quarterback. But he didn't have a very good year this year himself. And when he learned that John Gruden was going to be the new coach of his team, and he knew that Gruden is somewhat of a guru when it comes to training quarterbacks, he was elated. And when he was asked about what he thought about John Gruden's becoming the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, he said, I want him to coach me. I want him to coach me. I want to be coached. And that's sort of the way it is for us. We come with that same desire, knowing how far we fall short of understanding what the will of the Lord is, and say, Lord, coach me. I want to be the best I can be according to your plan for my life. We have to be sincere. And if we are in our sincerity to be taught by the Lord, He will teach us. This is what God says to David. It's recorded in Psalm 32.8. He says to David, I will instruct you, and I will teach you, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Note the personal nature of that. This is what God calls us to do. How does one discover God's will? Who's eligible? People who are intimate with God and people who are teachable. How does one discover God's will? Well, there are three ways that I'm going to draw attention to, and this is not new to you, perhaps. First and foremost, through the Scripture or the Bible. In Psalm 1, 1 Samuel, rather, 3, 21, this is what God writes in the Word. He said, The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh. Shiloh was a place in Israel. It was a place that the Ark of the Covenant and the Tent of Meeting were situated. He continued to appear to Samuel. And this is what the Scripture says. He spoke to Samuel. He revealed, actually is what it says, He revealed Himself to Samuel through His Word. 
through His Word. It was true 3,000 years ago in Samuel's case. And it's true today in the 21st century. God speaks to us through His Word. And we are the holy of holies of the presence of God. Because when Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 6.18, What do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? The word chosen for temple by the Spirit through Paul is the word for the inner sanctum, the holy of holies. There were two words which could have been chosen that would be translated temple. The one which Paul chose and God's Spirit did is the word nous which means the Holy of Holies. We're the Holy of Holies. And God wants to speak to, to us and through us. David wrote, or some psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is the way we discover God's will. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. God teaches us His will through Scripture. And in that case, He was referring to the Old Testament. The New Testament was not formed fully at that time. Most often, God reveals His will to the person who takes time to read his or her Bible in regular, disciplined, quiet time. I heard about a man who was in a moment of panic in his life. He needed to know God's will and he needed to know it right now. He was not a man who was accustomed to spending time with the Lord day by day. He would only approach the Lord in times of crisis. And so he did what he had done before with some degree of success. He just closed his eyes, opened the Bible, and pointed to the page to which the Bible fell open. And his finger was on John 13:27, where Jesus tells Judas, when Judas is going to betray him, go and do what you've got to do quickly. He said, well, I'm not sure about that. So he closed the Bible again. He opened it a second time, places his finger with his eyes closed on another section of Scripture, and it fell on Matthew 27, 5, where it says, Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) Well, he was not really crazy about that suggestion. So he said, I'll try a third time. So he closed the third time, opened again, did the same thing, put his finger on the page, and it said, Go and do likewise. So, that's no way to find out what God's will is. It's just spending time with the Lord, developing intimacy with Him regularly, daily. God reveals His moral will to us in the Bible. Probably over 90% of God's will for your life is a no-brainer. It's right there in the Bible. The Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet. Those things are rather clear. They may need some understanding and explanation, but they're rather clear. God's moral will is certainly revealed in the prohibitions of Scripture, but also through the positive commands. There are many positive commands in the Scripture. But God reveals His personal will. I'm making this distinction. The moral will is 
personal. It's for all of us. But sometimes there are things that we're seeking the Lord for or after. We want to know His will. And it's not altogether clear what that will is. In the choice of a mate, for instance. For those of us who know Christ, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. So that's the bottom line of pursuing a mate. We're to ask God to give us a Christian husband or a Christian wife. We look for that person. But there are a lot of possibilities, aren't there? But we want to know who that person is. That person whom you set aside, Lord, for me to spend my life with and to unite my life with and to raise a family with and to glorify you together with, to serve you, to be a picture in miniature of the church, in our home, where you are Lord, and if you are so gracious as to give us children, to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and we will be a microcosm of the church of Jesus Christ in our home, in our neighborhood. We have to ask the Lord for develop guidance on that. And He will give you guidance on things like that, personal matters. There were 7,400 promises in the Bible which the Spirit of God has deposited in His Word. And the Lord would speak to you and me. If we spend time with Him, we will hear what He has to say and we will obey. I wish time would permit for an explanation of how this has worked in my life. I didn't understand this until probably I was in my late 20s. And I'm sorry to say I didn't, but I learned. The Spirit of the Lord taught me to know when God was really speaking to me personally. And on more than one occasion, the occasion of my becoming the pastor of this church, God spoke to me, and I sensed it was His saying, I want you to come to be the pastor of Coronado Baptist Church. Now, let me explain something. I didn't have that communication from the Lord until I had been approached by this church to consider the possibility of becoming the pastor of this church. And I fasted, prayed, sought the Lord, reading my Bible, just like I had been doing all along for years. And I came to a place in Judges, and there was a word in Judges. It was like, leapt off the page. Now, this is thousands of years ago. You might say, hey, you're getting a little out of line here, Mike, to say that God would speak to you through something which was written over 3,000 years ago. But He did. And I was continuing to listen to the Lord because I didn't want to make a mistake. It would be bad for this church if I had come to this church without God's giving me clear direction that this was His will. So as I was reading along, I kept interacting with the search team that the church had sanctioned to seek a pastor. And so as I went forward, He said the same thing. It was the same wording virtually in the book of Psalms, the 18th Psalm. Same thing. And my heart leapt in me as I saw that. I said, Lord, are you trying to reiterate what you said to me? At least I thought you said to me when I was reading in Judges. And I had a sense of peace about that. I was called here. It would have been the first Sunday in May of 1994 to be presented to the church to get to know the people, the people to get to know me. There aren't many people here today who were then, that's been 24 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? Long time. And we had a great experience. My wife Sally and I and our children had a great experience here. We went home, but I certainly did not want to come here if that was not God's will. I wanted Him to have His way. 
And I said, Lord, when I got up the next morning, it was a Monday morning, I got up and I said, Lord, would you confirm what I believe you're saying to me? And I opened my Bible and it's incredible. The same wording that I had read in Judges in March and then sometime in April from the book of Psalms, the same identical wording found in the book of 2 Samuel. God spoke to me. You may say, well, that's highly subjective. Well, I own that. But do you know our relationship to God is rooted in objectivity? The Word of God, the trustworthiness of God, the way in which He's conveyed His will to us in His Word. But there's also that element of relating to Him. God speaks to us. Any voice that compromises or contradicts the truth in God's Word, it's not God's voice. Do you hear me? Let me say that again. Anything that you read in Scripture is God's Word. But if you have something that comes into your mind that would indicate that you do something contrary to God's will, forget it. It's not His will, and it's dangerous to pursue that voice. Any voice that promises total exemption from suffering is not God's voice. It doesn't mean that every time you do God's will, you're going to suffer. That's not what I'm saying. But if you think that the Lord is just going to make life a frolic for you when you follow Him, think again. What about Jesus? Did He have a hard time in His life? We're to follow Him. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have never and will never have the kind of situation in which He found Himself. But the Scripture says He sweat in agony as it were drops of great blood. Great drops of blood, rather. Jesus suffered. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3.12, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the Scripture is the primary means whereby we discover God's will. Also, godly advice. The Bible says in more than one place that we are wise to understand that in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that. So find somebody whom you know is the godly person. Let me alter that a bit. Find at least two people, when you're trying to make a big decision, who are godly people, who know you well, and then will tell you the truth, even though it may be received as critical of you. And then tell them what you're dealing with, ask their direction, and couple that with what you've heard in the Word of God. And then the third thing would be your circumstances. Now, this is the least important, but if I had read the Word of God and gotten some clarification about following the Lord to become the pastor of Coronado Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas. And I knew about Coronado Baptist Church because I'd pastored here once before. But I had very few thoughts about Coronado Baptist Church for the ten years that I was away from El Paso. Never dreamed I'd come back to El Paso, much less come to be the pastor of this church. But just suppose I became aware of the vacancy of the pastorate here, and I said, yeah, Lord, I'm praying about that. And I got what I thought was a word from the Lord about my becoming the pastor here. And then I consulted with my two mentors, F.B. Huey Jr. and Herb Hodges, and I put it before them, and they said, yeah, I think you should go there. But you had not asked me to become your pastor. 
the circumstances would not dictate and permit me to become the pastor of this church, correct? So you put those things together, and when you use that as a means whereby you make these big life decisions, these personal decisions, you will find help through the advice of godly people and even through circumstances. Listen to what J.I. Packer, the great evangelical theologian of our day, has written, God made us thinking beings. And He guides our minds as we think things out in His presence. Don't you know that God can speak to you? Many of the plans in a man's mind, the Bible says, but the Lord directs His steps. And then John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said, God generally guides me by presenting reasons to my mind for acting in a certain way. Now, here's something about open doors I need to mention. Not every door that's open is an entrance into God's will for your life. You have to evaluate those doors. I like what one writer writes. He says, open doors are to be carefully entered through because some of them lead to elevator shafts. And that's the truth. Well, we often enjoy knowing God's will, but in the last few minutes, let's see what we can learn about doing God's will. What kind of person is likely to do God's will? A person like David. In, in Acts 13, 22, he is described as a man after God's own heart. Such people are committed to do whatever God tells them to do. Such people prove God's will by presenting themselves to God as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, so that they may prove what is that good, listen, acceptable and perfect will of God. The beginning point for all of us, if we're going to know and do the will of God, is having an attitude of living in submission to the Lord. How do you do God's will? Well, you can't do it on your own. You have no power to do God's will. It's by the Holy Spirit. What did David say in his prayer in Psalm 143? Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We read from Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will lead you. Be led by the Spirit. He leads us, as we've seen, through the Word of God, the counsel of godly people, and He closes doors sometimes, or opens doors, which we would call circumstances. Doing God's will is impossible apart from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. G.K. Chesterton, the great Roman Catholic apologist of the early 20th century, he was a journalist, brilliant man. He said, we're all ordinary people, and it's the extraordinary people who know it. We have to recognize our absolute need for the Father and for the Son, and for the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish what God would describe as His will for us. Here's another quotation that 
goes along with this from Chesterton. He said, the reasons angels can fly is they take themselves lightly. And you and I sometimes take ourselves too seriously. We take the Lord seriously always. But we need to understand that. What Jesus did on earth in His physical body, He wants to do through His church and through us. He wants to do that. Jesus came to do God's will. We've seen this. And doing God's will was Christ's food. This is awesome. In John 4, 34, Jesus, after He has sent His men into a nearby village in Samaria to gather food, Jesus is hungry. They're hungry. He's hanging out by the well. We know the conversation He had with a woman who was a woman whose life was riddled by her own disobedience to God. And He led her to trust in Him. And they come back and they've got their food. And they say, Lord, we brought you some food. He says, my food. He was not hungry anymore. He says, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. This is amazing. He was strengthened by the food that God gave Him to do, to do the will. And you know what work does. God's work is no different. God's work stimulates greater hunger. We're doing the will of God. We work and we're hungry to do the will of God more. There is a sense in which our desire to do the will of God grows with our obedience to the will of God as He shows things for us to do. It's amazing. And Jesus was satisfied with that. He didn't need His hunger to be quelled because it was not there anymore. Hear what Helmut Tielicke, a great German theologian pastor, wrote in this regard, as stilling hunger creates a state of satisfaction. Isn't it good? Some of you are thinking about food right now. I mean, my stomach has notified me at least once since I've been preaching that I'm hungry is what my stomachs tell me, right? I'm going to do something about that after the service at 11 o'clock is over. And my hunger will be stilled. As stilling hunger creates a state of satisfaction, I enter into peace when I live in this harmony with the will of the Father. Doing God's will, as we've seen, can be a struggle. But because Jesus submitted to the Father's will, He found superhuman courage to obey God. We are to do His will from the heart. I wish we had time to look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. But just jot that reference down, if you will. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. His will is to be done joyfully. I like this so much. David, once more, is the human author in this prayer to the Father in Psalm 40, verse 8. He says, I desire to do your will, O my God, for your law is within me. What did the law amount to? The Torah. It, in its most basic meaning, means teaching. It is the law of God, certainly, but it's all the teaching of God. David had hidden his word in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against God. And by hiding God's word in your heart and my heart, the result is we can meditate, it on, meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything written in it. Then we will be prosperous and successful. And what are the results when we do God's will? Well, most importantly, God is honored. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That speaks of the authority and the lordship of God. Your kingdom come on earth. That would be in me. It would be in you when we do the will of God. To the glory of God. And He's honored. Hallowing means to honor, to glorify. We hallow and honor God by doing His will. And here's a beautiful thing about us. Possibly. The Bible says in 1 John 2.17, you want to look this up and think about it. In 1 John 2.17, the Word of God says, He or she who does the will of God lasts forever. You want your life to count not just for a little blip in the history of the world or forever. Well, there's one way to do it and only one way. Do the will of God. Does that mean you have to become a pastor? Does that mean you have to become an evangelist? Does that mean you have to be a missionary? No, no, no. It means you have to be who you are in Christ, growing in intimacy with God. David was not a priest. David was not a prophet. David was a king. He was a warrior. He was a poet. He was a musician. He was a shepherd. He was not ordained to be in what we call ministry. And most of you aren't either. But you have been set apart by God as His child to be used by Him. And your life will matter forever because of your commitment to Him. I want to close with a quotation from the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Listen, and this is my prayer for us. This is for you as your pastor, as your brother in Christ. This is my prayer. Now may the God of peace who raised up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the covenant of eternal blood, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will. That is the will of God for us. To know and to do His will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have called us Your friend. And Lord, we thank You that You want to bring glory to Yourself through us as we submit ourselves to You. And Lord, we just pause here. And if You could pray this prayer with me to the Lord in Your heart. Lord, I want to do Your will. I know I don't have the power to do it. But I know You've given me the way to do it. By the Spirit of, of God and through the Scriptures. So, Lord, make me a man, make me a woman who is submitted to You and Your Word. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.